for a brief word of prayer as we begin. <clears throat> Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you bless us with. We're certainly thankful on afternoons like this and evenings like this that we can enjoy this beautiful creation that you have blessed us with, the beautiful weather we can enjoy. And we're thankful for this building even that we have, this place that we can meet. And we're just thankful for all the physical blessings that come from you. Father, we're mindful of so many who are on our sick list, and we'll mention many of those uh, here in just a little while, but we want to pray a special prayer in this moment for our brother Buford, for the doctors and nurses that may be tending to him. We pray that you will uh, be with them as they make decisions, that what is uh, best needed for him can be done, and that he will have relief from his uh, physical ailments soon. We pray that you'll be with Sister Faye as well and, and their family members as they're trying to care for them. Father, we're thankful for this time of study that we can have. We pray that you'll be with us as we meditate on your word and consider what we can learn tonight and that we will be better not only as we go forth this evening, but throughout our lives as we always strive to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, if you've got your book, again, page number four, the second of lesson here in this particular study that we're looking at on the Sermon on the Mount. I may try to not say it each week, but just emphasize that this is not an exhaustive study. By any means of the Sermon on the Mount, we're skipping the first several verses, and uh, we're going to just touch on, of course, what the book lays out for us. I um, hope that it'll be encouraging, but we are going to move to this second lesson, which is interesting because the second and third lessons, uh, what, what I was going to say, if you've got your Bible there as well, you certainly want to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 23 and 24 tonight. If you notice, the lessons don't have the verses that go with each lesson, but I kind of went through and tried to figure out exactly maybe what the author was wanting us to look at. And it's interesting because verses 23, 24, and next week, God be willing, we're together again, verses 25 and 26 are usually all grouped together with the verses we talked about last week. In fact, that's the way it is in the Bible I have in front of me, Matthew 5, 21 through 26. And there they are connected. Now, for the sake of study and the sake of time tonight, uh, we we're looking at, or the sake of this study, the way the authors laid it out, uh, we're going to talk about worship a little bit tonight, and we're going to talk about enemies next week. But if you notice, uh, this whole section being together, it could really be summed up by us talking about relationships. That, that's really what we're talking about in a way is relationships. These lessons are connected, and uh, they're talking about not just our relationship with God, but our relationship with our fellow man. And so last week we talked about murder, and then we talked about anger. Those deal with, with relationships in a way. Of course, uh, murder ending, in a sense, a relationship with, between two people maybe, but, but a relationship between um, relationships and murder and anger. Now, I had you underline some in your Bible last week, and we noticed that there are several times that Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 5, you have heard that it was said, referring to the old law, but now I say unto you, and referring to the new covenant that he is getting ready to, to set up. Matthew 5, 21 and 22. So the change is not just about murder and anger per se, but about our relationships and the way that we interact with people because these are connected. And tonight is going to be a little bit about worship. I'm, I'm just going to kind of let it go and see how we navigate through it. And if you've got questions or comments, we'll take them and, and we'll see how it goes. It's about worship in a way, but it's also about relationships. And really, in a sense, tonight is about conflict and conflict resolution in a way. 
And so we're going to kind of touch on all those things as we go through. But there's another word that is used here that is uh, kind of interesting for us in how we read the Bible. I found an article online. I'm not sure even who it was. But it mentioned, this person said, until I had really studied the word therefore, I, I never knew that I didn't know how to read the Bible. We might have mentioned this in, in lessons previously, but the word therefore is one of those important words when you read the New Testament. And the idea that you hear preachers say, usually, is that when you find that word, you need to understand what is around it and what it is there for. And so this is one of those cases. Verse 23 actually begins, therefore. So if you've got your Bible, let's look at it together, going back to last week. Verse 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say, verse 22, but I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now for our purposes, and the reason that I put that this lesson is talking about 23 and 24 is because in verse 25, depending on the version you're looking at, you get pretty quickly to the word adversary. And that's what the lesson is on next week. So I think that's why he's broken it up this way. But when we've come to the word therefore, in its most basic sense, we want to understand that it means for that reason. And I saw this person that I was looking at, their article online, they gave a great example I'd never thought of. But think of the word therefore as a magnifying glass. It's taking a bigger idea and zooming in to an important aspect. And you might say, the person might say, well, we've discovered a big truth. Now here's why it matters. So the big truth is that it's not just about murder, but it's also about being angry and angry with your, your brother, with other Christians. And it's that important. You know, what are we zooming into to figure out what, why does it matter? Well, it's because we need to fix our relationship issues and it's that important, but that it will hinder the worship that we offer to God. And that's the first question. If you have your book there, what does the text say could handicap our worship? Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Well, it's, it's relationship problems. Uh, we might say offenses. That's another way that we refer to it as an, an offense between two people. And it is that important that if I have said to you, or you have heard it said, don't murder, but I'm saying to you, you don't even need to have anger, that anger is now forbidden, then it's that important that we consider this idea that maybe even our worship is hindered if we have these relationship problems. And so Jesus has just forbidden anger, and now he moves on to the reconciliation, the, the conflict resolution that might be needed here. And so the first question really lays out for us. We're, the book kind of gets into worship. We want to come back and talk about that. But we also want to talk a little bit tonight for just a moment as well about the, the conflict resolution that is mentioned here and our worship because they're connected. Uh, our brother Wayne Jackson, I mentioned to you his commentary a lot, his New Testament commentary that we have in the library. Uh, but he said it this way in his writings on Matthew 5, 23 and 24. He says, an unresolved 
legitimate offense against a brother nullifies one's worship. An unresolved legitimate offense against a brother nullifies one's worship. When such is within one's power, he must settle difficulties before attempting to worship. Relationship problems should be resolved quickly if possible. And here's why. The longer that discord between brethren festers, the more difficult it becomes to heal. And I don't know if you've ever sat, we won't ask for a show of hands, no show of hands. I don't know if you've ever sat in an auditorium or in a class or in, in a setting like that with someone that you, there were problems between the two of you. And I won't ask for hands, probably because most of us would raise our hand and say, yeah, eventually at some point in our lives, whether it was some massive problem and we were never speaking to each other again, or whether it was something trivial and we talked about it later and got it over with, or, or anywhere in between those two extremes, you know, there's been a time where maybe people have trouble with one another. Wherever there are people, from time to time, there will be stress, conflicts, problems, so the situation that Jesus describes here clearly, certainly could happen. And as most of us would attest to, has happened before between brethren. And we understand, just a, a few notes as we go along, we understand that verse 23, if you bring your gift to the altar, Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience. Un, they understand that idea of bringing their gift to the altar. And the translation into the the idea of the New Testament uh, as Jesus dies on the cross and the New Covenant and our worship that we offer up. We don't have the, the blood of bulls and goats, the sac animal sacrifices in that way. But as we assemble together to worship, then this is of great importance that we understand that it's resolved, these problems are resolved as quickly as possible. Brian, are you stretching or you just want to jump in the fray here? No, I want to jump in the fray. All right, well, join the party. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, there's another book that we have in our library here, actually, on the Sermon on the Mount. It's a lectureship book uh, from lectureship out in Texas, but uh, the whole lectureship was on the Sermon on the Mount, so it's been one I picked up kind of each week and, and just thumbed through. But it says, the therefore of verse 23 links these verses with the preceding ones and help us understand. Those thoughts and actions arising from bitter human relationships hinder acceptable worship to God. The New Testament of Christ demands that men maintain appropriate attitudes and actions toward their fellow man as an essential part of their maintaining a right relationship with God. Now we're driving home a pretty serious point. It's hard for us to be right with God if we're not right with our brothers and sisters. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 20 is the place we usually... Reference, 1 John 4, 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. You know, we've talked a little bit about passages that may be misunderstood, that you don't quite understand what they're getting at sometimes. I think that's pretty clear. Don't you agree, Brother Bill? I think that's pretty easy to understand. 
If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, I think we call that talking out of both sides of one's mouth, right? Sometimes he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? So again, the New Testament of Christ demands that men maintain appropriate attitudes and actions towards their fellow men as an essential part of their maintaining a right relationship with God. Absolutely. And it's, it's important that we uh, consider that. Brother Bob mentioned for us last week, I think it was, Romans 12, 18, that as much as depends on you, as much as depends on me, I'm going to live peaceably with all men. Now, what's interesting here is that, you know, we understand that, yes, as long as humans are involved, man is involved, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be problems that arise, both serious nature or maybe of an on-purpose nature and then sometimes of an accidental nature. But the point is, is that we cannot let those things, those things fester because it's only going to cause more trouble and it's only going to be harder to fix as time goes on. And probably, again, all of us could give many personal examples, even outside of, of a church setting, congregational setting, but just a business setting or a personal setting where we handled something quite quickly and it seemed to be okay and we let something kind of drag on until years later, neither person remembers why they're even mad at one another. And then, you know, you kind of move on from there eventually. That's not the way, by the way, to handle it typically. I, I don't think that's what uh, Jesus is saying here. Uh, sure, you may get later and forget why you were mad, but that's not the way to handle it because there is a, a serious problem as we consider uh, our worship here. Bill? Yeah. When we, we come to worship God, we've got to realize that we've got to be right with our brother. Absolutely. Um, and I, I've said, I said this to a few people here recently. I've been considering a, a sermon, uh, maybe in a, a few weeks, uh, of thinking about, we, several, several of us had this discussion recently, but about how we sometimes are pretty good as Christians about putting on masks. And, and of course, not the mask we're talking about, we wear currently here with, uh, in relation to a virus, but, you know, of pretending things and pretending like things are okay. And very often, we're pretty good at, at lying when something is wrong because we don't want to either share or we want, you know, just don't want to talk about it or something along those lines. And, you know, that, that just creates more and more of a problem, uh, more and more trouble. And, and we as Christians probably need to do a better job of, of being honest. Now, one thing we discussed um, when some of, us were, some of us were discussing this recently was, you know, when you walk up to somebody with two minutes before the, the service starts, you say, how are you doing? And they say, oh, I'm awful. You won't believe everything I've been through. You know, okay, that's a little awkward and uncomfortable. Maybe that, you know, but, but, but at the same time, when every time somebody asks, you say, oh, I'm good. I'm perfectly fine. And inside you're reeling from, you know, marital troubles, children troubles or whatever, then we're not doing ourselves any favors. And kind of quickly veering off topic here, I don't, I don't mean to, but um, that we are honest about the struggles that we have, and, and we're honest about even when we have trouble with one another and, and get to the bottom of it. Brenda? I think that it's also just a friendship. Sure. Absolutely. It's uh, just good life principles, you know, um, with lots of things, for sure. So, you know, the point here with 
part of this lesson gets into the idea of conflict resolution, of handling that. You know, the other passage, and, and again, I don't want to go too far down that, that path, but the other passage that we usually reference is Matthew chapter 18. That's where it talks about going to someone who has offended you and the conflict re- resolution of handling it person on person. And if that doesn't work, handling it with two or three witnesses, that doesn't work, bringing it before the congregation. That's certainly a whole other lesson probably for a different time. But something to keep in mind as we think about that, that whether you look at Matthew 5 or Matthew 18, that the message seems to be pretty clear is that we've got to handle things. We can't just gloss over it. We can't just bury it. Um, whether it takes getting in a room and fighting for 10 or 15 minutes and having it out and then you know, agreeing to, to settle the differences and move on or, or whatever it is, uh, you know, something, something needs to be done so that these conflicts get out of the way and then the church can move forward on several different ways. Heath? Sure. Yeah, uh, I think I was reading uh, the last couple of days, and, and some people uh, tend to agree that, that maybe Matthew 5 is, is that if someone has a problem with you, maybe something you've done in Matthew 18 is you know, where you've offended someone. Uh, or no, I got that backwards. Matthew 5, where you offended someone. Matthew 18, where someone has offended you. I think Matthew 18 is, is certainly more direct in that it says, uh, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. But yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. Um, yeah, I, it's like I haven't thought about it that way before. But certainly, um, when we think about mercy, we talked about grace Sunday for a while. We think about grace, extending grace to one another. Then yeah, that, that may play a part in this as well. I do want to get into some of the worship things um, for a few moments. Does anybody have any other comments or, or questions here? Uh, there are lots that could be said about conflict resolution and that kind of thing um, and, and our dealing with one another. I think Keith is right. We could expand that to go into the mercy and grace that we show through things. Um, but then, you know, there's just the fact that if, we're, if we are moving together, if we're truly wanting what's best, you know, I've heard people say before, um, you know, to someone, well, you know, I don't know how we can keep showing up here or, you know, that people would pretend to be okay and then expect that, you know, everything's going to be perfectly fine in heaven or, or something along those lines. I'm messing, messing that up. But the idea that we could just pretend like we're okay but hate each other and then, you know, think that all, everything's going to be perfect between us, you know, in, in heaven together. That's, there's something backwards about that. We need to be at peace together here, encouraging one another, working together towards that goal. And then, you know, then, yes, we would be there rejoicing together and praising God. So, Wayne? <clears throat> well, so, you know, I think that 
for as much as depends on you live peaceably with all men, Romans 12, 18, can deal with, you know, me being accepting of people, but I think that, as you're saying, it can go both ways. If I'm living at peace with all men, then I'm doing my best. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the one thing this doesn't talk about in the idea of living peacefully with all men, as much as depends on me, doesn't talk about what the other person does. I mean, Matthew 18 talks about what well, they won't hear you take two or three and then tell it before the congregation. But, you know, you're right. It's, it's about the person, you know. So as much as depends on me, I'm going to try to fix it. If they won't hear me or, you know, then I can't, may not be able to do anything about that. But I can apologize or I can bring it up and see if they'll apologize depending on which way it goes. Yeah, it's good, good thoughts there. <clears throat> So, um, when we talk about our worship then, this can hinder our worship. Number two in your books there, what is most offensive to God and why? What is most offensive to God and why? What is Exodus 20 talking about, the verses? Sorry, Carl, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I, I'm, I'd be curious to know, and I don't know that we could ever do a study, but if you could do a study to know how many times that's the exact situation, what Carl was saying, in case you couldn't hear him, was that, that you know, you've offended somebody, but you didn't know it. You know, and somebody brings it to you, and you say, well, that wasn't what I meant at all. You know, that wasn't what I was trying to say, whether it's a card, you know, and, and we, hey, most of us understand this now because of social media, right? I mean, you say something online, somebody says, well, they, they meant that, you know, snarky. Well, I mean, no, I was just asking, or I just said this. You know, you can't read always into what somebody writes. You can't hear tone that way. And so, yeah, how many times, Carl, I, I agree with you. How many times if you went to somebody and just said, you know, why did you say that? That hurt my feelings. And they'd say, I wasn't even meaning that, or I wasn't even trying to do that. I was just trying to handle what I thought, you know, should be done at the moment. Okay, we're good. There's not even a problem to worry about. You know, we can put it aside. That's maybe not the most percentage of time, but a pretty good percentage of time. Charles? I think, you know, being offended is the great American pastime. <laughs> okay, now he's, he said being offended is the great American pastime. Uh, it's certainly becoming that way, possibly. <clears throat> certainly. And so, you know, real quick, that brings up another point. I would offer for your consideration tonight, when it comes to getting upset about something, or being offended, it's one thing with the world, it's another thing with our brothers and sisters. How many times do we assume that somebody has said the worst, or thinking the worst, or done the worst, and as Carl was saying, that's not what they meant at all. Giving our brothers and sisters the benefit of the doubt, part of conflict resolution comes from that merciful attitude, thinking the best of others. Now, <laughs> you may go to them sometimes, and they may exactly mean it that way. I guess that certainly is a possibility. Um, but yes, you know, don't just jump to being offended, especially with our brothers and sisters. Brian? You know, well, when I brought that up, I actually believe peacefully with all men, as much as I teach, mm. as we know, being honest, you can't get along with everybody. Sure. Yeah. 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 Sure. Yeah, not all of us are 100% compatible. I mean, and certainly we know none of us are perfect. 
I mean, most of you people are Tennessee fans, and I still hang around you anyways, but that's a whole different story from the time. All right, Brian, you want to jump in after that one? Yeah. <laughs> See, we're not going there. We don't have time for that. <laughs> we, yeah. No, is it ever okay to fend someone? Well, certainly, you know, we talk about preaching the truth, speaking the truth, but doing so in love. Uh, you know, there's a time where what's considered offensive is actually the truth. That's uh, what Brian's getting at. So, uh, absolutely. Uh, our time is, is going here, so we've still got a few minutes. But let's talk about worship for just a minute. And the question, too, that we, we asked, we talked about, dealing with idolatry. Um, if you recall, back the first of the year, I guess it was this year, our years running together, uh, we talked about idolatry, and we talked about First Kings there, and the, um, Mount Carmel, and the battle there between Elijah and the prophets, and uh, prophets of Baal, and we talked about that idolatry, quite simply, because what we do is we make idolatry about little statues, and little things on the wall, and, and stuff like that, but quite literally, idolatry is anything in the place of God. It cuts out a lot of other stuff. That cuts out a lot of, well, it makes trouble for a lot of people, but that cuts out a lot of worry trying to define exactly what idolatry is because I, I believe that's one that a lot of us will sit aside and say, not a problem for me. We have no idols in our house. You know, I never bought one of those things. There's nothing on our shelves. I don't have a problem with idolatry. But when we take it away from a little statue or something made of gold or whatever, and we make it what it is, which is anything in the place of God, now we're, we're getting home to where it really steps on our own toes. So that is what's most offensive to God. Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 6, beginning there, what we refer to as the Ten Commandments, honing in on God being number one. That's what he asks of us, that he be first place. No other gods before me. Nothing else gets the worship. And we certainly know from our Bible history that no sooner does it seems like than we get those Ten Commandments and march down the mountain and there's idolatry in its blatant form of a, a golden calf, but, but even just beginning that something else is taking the place of God. So, you know, we can talk about relationship problems, and I think we've emphasized that, the importance of our relationship problems um, being taken care of so they're not in the way, but our idolatry also has to be moved out of the way. Bill? Sure. We, we, a lot of times in conversation with people, or in interacting with people, you know, you don't want to make them mad, but you say, well, what I'm saying is right. And I, I want that's what I say rather than what you say. Yeah. Uh, Bill's, yeah, you're absolutely right. Getting into the third question there a little bit. It's ask some other things. And, and letter C, Philippians 3, 9, to me, that's what that was saying. You know, our own righteousness that we get caught up in, in what we can do. Uh, and I, I think that's, you know, possibly part of the answer there is ourselves. Um, pleasure, 2 Timothy 2, 3, 3, 4. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4. Um, riches or mammon, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Um, but, you know, it it's changes. It changes with the times. Truth has not changed with the times. But maybe what people put out front has changed with the times. I, I would guarantee you, we won't go around the room, uh, how many of you older folks, 
use that term loosely. How many older folks remember a time where you would never imagine there being 900 baseball games being go, going on on a Sunday uh, and everywhere around the world? I, I can promise you, if you want to help your town, the biggest moneymaker is to build a ballpark with about eight ball fields, and you'll have people coming from, you know, thousands of miles away for a weekend baseball tournament. And I love baseball. You know, Miss Suzanne and I talk baseball every week. Her wearing her Braves mask back there. You know, I love baseball. There's no problem with baseball. But when we start talking about things taking the place of God, which we can put baseball in the place of God, we can put our money in the place of God, we can put ourselves in the place of God, then we've got a problem with idolatry, and that is affecting our worship. And we can harp on sports. I mean, it's something easy for us as parents. Sometimes we see other, others who struggle with that, but it can be anything. And if we just want to harp on certain things, then we're missing the point that, that all of us can be in danger of that, certainly. So um, there are a lot of things that serve. I like the way the question was worded. Question three, can you name some idols that Americans worship today? So again, there are a lot of different things. Are you, you got a phone call or are you just, I know, you're right. Holding up her, Miss Pat's holding up her cell phone at me. Absolutely. I figured that's what you were meaning. Uh, I thought maybe somebody was calling in with a question. I didn't know if we needed an answer. Uh, no, I knew exactly what she meant. We'll have to set that aside for another time as well, because you know, that's a whole, whole different thing. But absolutely, we make a, can make anything. So I'll ask you again. Some of you older folks, could you ever remember a time that the little thing in your pocket would be a phone and that it would con- control most of your mind and, and uh, your time? Um, when we talk about worship, you know, in our worship, there are four different kinds of worship that are mentioned there in question number five. There is uh, vain worship, of course. There's ignorant worship, Acts chapter 17, when Paul mentions those who uh, are ignorantly, they have the idol to the unknown God. Will worship, Colossians chapter 2, we call it will worship, seeking after our own, what we want to do. And, of course, true worship, um, we can be guilty of a lot of those different things along the way, um, and you know it's it's up to each one of us. I, one of the books I picked up mentioned three things about worship that I just thought we kind of know this, but it doesn't hurt for us to touch on it. Um, worship, in a sense, is individual. You know, we've emphasized this past year, year and a half or so now, that that uh, worship is is corporate. We come together. We missed being together, and rightfully so. But worship is also an individual thing. You know, we, we sing, right? And in a sense, the communion, we, we partake together in a sense. But praying or listening to the, the sermon or, or things like that, there's a lot of individual nature to what's, what's going on. So it is encouraging for us to be together, and we should want to be here. But we need to also consider the individual aspect of it. It requires preparation, it requires preparation. Most of us are of the mindset that we don't have to put a lot of preparation in. Uh, and for most people, if you're not participating maybe in an active way in leading, singing, or speaking, or, or along those lines, then maybe it requires a little less. But maybe we would all do well to put a little more preparation into it, whether it's Saturday night thinking about it or laying things out or whatever it takes for us to be on time, to be present to be a little less frazzled so our mind is going um, every different direction. And it requires uh, thoughtful participation. Thoughtful participation. I like the way that was worded as well. And I actually confessed this uh, on Sunday morning to, to Brian. We were talking and you know, I said, believe it or not, you know, the preacher doesn't get a pass from worship. It's important that the preacher sits and worships just as encourages you as much as you encourage me. But if I'm not careful and I'm not prepared, 
then the five or ten minutes before the sermon, I'm racing through lots of things in my mind. I've not thought a, word, a, a thing about the words we're singing or the communion or anything like that. And, um, you know, I said, we gotta, I have to be careful because I'm not exempt from worshiping with thoughtful participation. And um, that's something that typically, I say typically, most of us are probably pretty good at, but it doesn't take much. Right, Miss Pat? Doesn't take much. Sitting right there the whole time, you know, uh, tempting us to check something or look at something or to think of something. Um, so, you know, it's, it's hard, but we have to be prepared and we have to participate. And when we're focused on that, then some of these other things will take care of themselves maybe. We'll realize the things we need to make right and make them right. I think the text that we're looking at encourages us to do so before as much as possible but that we would uh, certainly, you know, do whatever we can to be worshiping in a proper manner. Thoughts or comments there? Bob? Yeah, I mean, we're under the, you know, the authority of the eldership and ultimately under the authority of, of the Bible, the Word of God. But as the eldership makes decisions that uh, the church is going to meet and be together, then we need to be here. Uh, and that's been challenged, you know, over the last year in lots of different places. And so it, it's been, uh, been, I think it's been good, hopefully, for most people to consider and think about. Some people, as you said, have just, you know, been willing to relax and take it easy and not worry about it. But many people have been challenged to consider um, how much effort, you know, they put forth on a, on a Lord's Day to be here and to, to worship. Um, if you've got your Bible there, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Because we won't have time to get into all the questions. Question 4 talks about what, were, what are some wrong, what was wrong with the following attempts at worship to God. And there's Cain and Abel discussed there, Genesis 4, Nadab and Abihu, Leviticus chapter 10. But 1 Corinthians 11 uh, 27 through 30 is a passage that we usually read sometimes on a Sunday morning as we partake of the Lord's Supper and we talk about. I think there's a great principle here, not just for the Lord's Supper, maybe, not, not only, um, but in a general sense as well, that we are examining ourselves. Now, that's the New King James, verse number 28, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And even verse 27 at the end, that if anybody does it unworthy, in a manner unworthy, will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Uh, let me just read to you another quotation here from, from our brother Wayne Jackson and his commentary. He says, a severe warning is placed upon anyone who would engage in the communion supper in an unworthy manner, whether it be divisively, frivolously, inattentively, or capriciously. 
To do so is to be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord, a thought that should strike a note of terror in the hearts of some church members. Each person should test himself as whether his mental disposition accommodates this act, and one who despises the person across the room, or even who can't wait for an afternoon sports event, is light years from the truth. I think that uh, even though that was written several years ago by Brother Jackson and, and he's talking maybe more about an event, you know, watching a ball game or something is supposed a little different than what we were talking about earlier. There just has always been this emphasis that, that for some people, this is a, a mere bump in the road in the morning to get to the rest of the day or what else is going on. And I, I love the way he said it. Should strike a note of terror in the hearts of some church members. Uh, do we examine ourselves or test ourselves before partaking of the Lord's Supper? Do we examine or test ourselves walking in the building, sitting down in our seat, just thinking about worshiping God? Um, and, you know, how often are we guilty of, of doing so in an unworthy manner? Again, I'll be the first one to raise my hand, not even just while preaching, but prior to preaching, being a person in the pew and, and sitting there, whether it's, you know, other things going on or personal problems or, you know, just anything. There's lots of things that can distract us, but our worship should be of the utmost importance in, in those moments. Faith? Yeah. It really helps to make you know, that's one thing that, that we've had to be careful about um, in this post-pandemic or even later in pandemic time here, um, that certainly there was a time frame where we passed the plate and there was a little bit more time. But if we're not careful, yeah, it could be over in a matter of less than a minute, you know. Um, if we're not, if we don't spend the required time on it, or not required, excuse me, that was not correct, but just a, a good amount of time on it to consider those things, both in thoughts leading up and even maybe a few moments in prayer and after prayer. Um, I think I'm going to venture on a limb and say that Charles doesn't send out that list of people who are supposed to do that each week just for fun. I don't think he spends time on that just for kicks, you know. Um, it's so, hopefully that the men who are on it would get it and know and see ahead of time that they're down to do certain things and make a little more preparation for those things um, in thinking about that particular time. But not just that. I mean, prayer uh, and, and song leading and all that. And so, yeah, absolutely. I appreciate those, those thoughts as well because it causes us to think about it. Bill? I think we need to appreciate the fact that worship is personal. Mm -hmm. uh, I've, I've led singing Diana Yeah. As well as else. Absolutely. It must be personal. Yeah, it's in individual. Charles? It um 
you know, if we're not careful, we, we do treat it as a checkbox, as we talked about before. Um, both people in the audience, I mean, members, and those leading, you know, uh, can treat it as just something we have to do and, and check off, and we just show up and do Miss Brenda. have an opportunity to, to do those things. Yeah, and, and we, we can take it for granted. We, we do sometimes, but who are you pointing at? Travis. Travis. I think I've mentioned this in sermons before. It, it, some people say maybe we would be better suited, uh, you know, sitting not in pews, but whether it's circle or whatever, you know, where we're worshiping together. I think those of us that are distracted a little easier, it might not be as much as good as that way, you know. But um, yeah, that's the worshiping together. Uh, it's individual, and, and I don't know what's going through, you know, your mind any more than you do mine, but um, collectively, we have an opportunity to encourage one another. Uh, through the things that we do. Um, there were a couple good questions at the bottom. Uh, I mentioned just here, you know, which is more important to be exact or to be sincere? Sounds like a dangerous question. Jerry, you want to answer that one? <laughs> uh, what is wrong with the attitude? I like the way they worship. We were talking about the personal um, ways of worship and how can we improve our personal worship and congregational worship. You know, that, that's interesting because we often focus on the second question. And again, I'll be the first one to say over the years of attending different places, it's real easy to say we should sing more. You know, he should preach shorter. We should do this. We should do that. Uh, but if we're talking about the individual nature of it, if we would focus on ourselves, um, then, you know, maybe we'll be, we'll, we'll get more out of it. We talk about, you know, getting out what you put in or Jerry. You know, I I saw, we didn't touch on the the details of the, uh, what was the question, what's wrong, what was wrong with the following attempts, and the question A is Genesis 4, Cain and Abel, and even the reference to Hebrews 11, and I can't remember which author it was, maybe Brother Jackson, but someone said, you know, according to Hebrews 11, 4, Abel offered his sacrifice by faith, all right, Abel offered his sacrifice by faith. According to Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So it would be pretty easy, even from a mathematical aspect, to think that Abel then offered his sacrifice by hearing and obeying the word of God, which is what we should be after in all things. Uh, and not so much what I like or what I want, but what you know, God has said. Debbie? Opinion? Opinion. That's the word you're looking for. All right. I know some elders you can go talk to then, David. Uh, no, you know. Some, well, 
here's what I'd say about that. I'll, talk, I'll go back to what Charles said. I hope that the song leaders put preparation into that and consider that, you know, the songs that tell the whole story. Um, you know, there's several songs like that, that that tell, you know, all verses connect together. And yes, when we skip over some, then, um, you know, that's, you know, the way to solve that, right, is you let me preach longer and we just go about two hours rather than an hour, Debbie. How's that sound? Brian, you want to jump in after that or are you going to let it go now? <laughs> Charles went to ring the bell to save me by the bell. So uh, we'll talk about adversary next week and in connection with this stuff. Thank you for your attention. Comments.